The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and Uverse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to our June 26, 2023 meeting of City Council. Please stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Sean, will you please call the roll? Honorable Mayor Donker? Here. Councilman Soler? Here. Councilman Brown, Brown Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Arnosky. Here. Councilman Wasbinski. Here. Okay, thank you very much. Does anyone in council have a conflict of interest with anything on this evening's agenda? No, Madam Mayor. Okay, very good. Moving on to the consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate consideration of these items unless a council member or citizen so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda as indicated. If there is even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further motion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. All right, can we have a motion to approve the consent agenda? Madam Mayor, so, just before you do so, just a reminder that uh, we are withdrawing it from a staff level item number 18, which is regarding consumer energy lighting contract, which would have been on the consent calendar. So, okay. um, But we're withdrawing that from the agenda with your approval. Okay, very good. Thank you. I'll okay. move. I'll second. Okay, first and second. Um, anyone from council want an item removed from the consent agenda? Anyone from the public want an item removed from the consent agenda? Okay, then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. Um, that takes us down now to item, uh, public hearings. So we have, let me just look here. We have a couple of those. Um, the first one has to do with a city budget for concept five. Let me just talk about public hearings for a minute. Um, we'll have a staff presentation once the staff presentation is completed. Um, council members have an opportunity to ask staff member questions. Um, after that, we would um, open the public hearing and uh, anyone who has a comment to make can come up. You need to stand on the blue mat, um, address council, and we'll move forward with our public hearing. So I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Keenan. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Sorry. That would be me? Okay. So um, before I get into the details, I just want to let you all know 
what this is not intended to be. I am not a Concept 5 expert. If you ask me technical questions, I'm not going to know. I'm taking all that information from the folks who do know and looking at our budgetary situation and making adjustments accordingly. So don't ask me why we switched a pipe size on one particular street from something to the other. No clue. Um, so when I addressed this with you all during the budget process, I indicated that there were um, there were some costs out there that I knew existed that we had not captured yet because staff hadn't told us. Essentially, it was um, our internal costs, our own staff labor, staff expenses, equipment rental, things like that. So what, um, what we've done is we've worked with the engineers and, and staff, and we've captured those things. So tonight, what we're actually going to try to do is accomplish a couple different things. So we're adding costs to the total budget amount that you were provided before, and I've, I've got a table that will show you that. And it, um, it, it's made up of, I'm missing a zero there, but 548,000 of internal labor costs, uh, 32,000 of overhead, administrative overhead. Um, and then we realized that we had removed some trees in these projects, but we didn't have any funding to put the trees back. So we're adding 47,500 to put trees back um, in, within these projects. That's the first phase. So we're taking the budget that I showed you before, and we're increasing it in its totality by the sum of these numbers. Um, the second thing we did is worked with the engineers to try to get an idea in terms of where we were in times of project timing because some of these projects are going much quicker than we anticipated. Um, and so we're, we have to essentially adjust the budgets timing-wise to pull some of the budgets from the later two years forward so we have money in the budget to pay for the work as it's completed. And some of those, you're talking about Sylvan Lane, you're talking about Whitewood, Moreland, uh, so essentially we're pulling a half a million and 1.6 or 4 million out of the later two years of the timeline forward so that we can pay for that work as, as it is accelerated. Okay. So um, what we have here is the project budgets. That's a number that uh, I would have showed you previously. I'm adding across force account. That's internal labor. Um, that's equipment rental. It's supplies. It's staff time. Um, then the overhead I mentioned is a simply uh, it's a factor that we apply against some costs uh, to help pay for administration. And then there's the tree replacement that I mentioned. So if you follow it all the way across, you end up with a new rounded number of 52780000 Out of that, we are anticipating that the local and major street funds and the water fund will pay for a combined $15,570,000 leaving the balance to be funded through the, either the SRF loan or the SWIFT loan. And you can see the two balances there. The SWIFT loan is essentially the footing drain disconnect program. The balance of the costs would fall under SRF. So the April 2023 budget um, provided some ability for acceleration. What I mean by that is the engineers had spread the costs out simply over four years. Uh, staff had made the determination that they thought we might get ahead of schedule on some of these. So anticipating that, especially in the, the stormwater fund, we had moved some of those, the timeline forward on our own. So in comparing to where we expect to be with the revised numbers to what we put in the budget, some of the funds are actually okay. The um, wastewater fund, and now it's a water reclamation fund, and the stormwater fund are two of those. Um, however, not every fund benefited from that. 
the local street fund and the water fund are two that we're going to have to actually amend the budget on. Um, and then we were able to handle some other overages by budget transfers. And I'll, I'll go over each of these things as we go through this. So here we have, you've got the number of, you've got the type of funds listed down the side. You've got years moving forward. You can see for 22-23 and 23-24, these are expected increases by fund by year. So in 22-23, we would be increasing the budget by 1,663,000, or costs to go up by 854 for the next year. But you see in the outlying years, we're anticipating that they're going to go down now. So what we're essentially doing is we're not affecting um, largely the total project budget, but we are affecting the timing of it. So on the major street fund, uh, we were able to cover any changes that we had uh, through non-concept five projects that were already in existence, already in the budget. So we're finding those savings, we're transferring to major, major street projects, um, thereby not increasing the total budget for the fund. No budget amendment is required. In the stormwater and the water reclamation, as I mentioned earlier, we had anticipated some of this stuff in the budgets that you all uh, adopted or amended. So we're not doing anything to either of those funds at this point. We're here basically to look at the local street fund and the water fund um, because of the changes and the fundings that might have been available within each of those funds. Um, it's necessary to amend the budgets to increase the expenditures for the current year. Now, what, what we're doing here is we're taking the changes for both 22-23 and 23-24, and we're amending the current year budget for all of that. So all of that funding will be in each of these funds as of 6-30-23, and then whatever's not spent by them will be rolled forward into 6-30-24. I'm doing that in an effort to try to not have you deal with this every council meeting. Uh, with budget amendments, we know that the costs are going, going to happen sooner, so we're front-loading the budgets. We're doing it all in this year and then rolling it forward into next year. So we should have, in most cases, unless there's some significant scope changes that come up, the hope is to have adequate funding in here to get us through the end of next fiscal year as well. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. All right. So we'll look at the water fund. So we have Sylvan Lane, Perrin, Sugnet, Whitewood, and Moreland. Those, the acceleration essentially, and some of the additional uh, internal costs are causing the changes that I'm showing there. And by that I mean for 22-23, it would be an increase of 528,000 in total. For 23-24, it would be 464. You add those together, you get a number of 992,000. We are able to find... Um, projects with available funding uh, of $532,000 within the water fund that we can transfer to cover some of these overages. So what that means is between those savings, I would have to increase the total expenses by $460,000. And I got there by taking the total increase of $992,000 for those costs related to Concept 5 minus the savings that we can apply from other non-concept five projects within the water fund to leave a net change of $460,000. Now, some of these costs will be eligible for SRF funding. Not all costs are in the water fund, but some are. That's expected to generate an additional revenue of $100,000. So what, what the resolution you're going to see is going to increase expenses by $460,000 
um, and then revenues by 100,000 for a net negative impact, if you will, to retain earnings of $360,000. That's a lot to unpack. Did you guys kind of follow what I was trying to say? Dave, let me, let me just ask if you can clarify. I mean, we're talking about water, which is drinking water, which is totally separate from, you water know, Water This is the water. So flood. how is that related to Concept 5? Because there's, there's two things that happen. Um, first, we have to relocate water mains. We have to re relocate some of the infrastructure so that we can proceed with the rest of the plan related to the sanitary sewer lines, um, stormwater lines. In those instances where we have to do that, those would be considered eligible and fundable by SRF. There's also situations where the water department has looked at the opportunity of, we got this entire road tore up. We know that we're going to have to deal with this water main pretty soon anyway. Let's do it now. Instead, that way we don't have to pay for the interruptions. We don't have to pay for tearing up the street later and the replacement. Those are not considered SRF eligible. And so it's all part of the costs. Some of it's reimbursable. Some of it is not. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So the other fund that we have to deal with is the local street fund. Um, major, major impact from the acceleration here. You can see that the 22-23 increase is a million 23-24 is 415,000 for these two projects. That's an increase in expenditures of a million 448. What we're looking at then is there are local street projects with extra funding available that are not related to concept five where we can transfer those funds out to help pay for the overage in the amount of 163,000. That leaves the amount that we need to cover of expenses a million to 85. Now the way we propose paying for that is within the major street fund there was $685,000 of funding available that we propose transferring to the local street fund to cover that. Now we don't typically do these types of things but largely construction within the major street and local street are funded by county road millage anyway and um, those dollars are available for construction projects in either one. So what we're essentially doing is we're taking budget for these projects that were funded by county road millage and we're transferring it over to the local street fund so that we can now pay for um, the acceleration of concept five costs in the local street fund. That's $685,000. If I subtract that from the amount, the net amount that we need to come up with, it leaves a net impact of fund balance of $600,000. So we're going to decrease the fund balance in the local street fund by 600,000, we're going to transfer 685,000 over from the major street fund. I'm, this is a lot to, to throw at you guys. Apologize. That 685 was already an expense in the major street fund. We're just pulling it out of construction projects and calling it transfer to the local street fund. So I don't have to do anything to the major street budget other than do it a budget transfer. So the net amount that the local street fund is going to see for additional expenses is $600,000. That one's a little tougher to, to, to follow along. So essentially you have a resolution in front of you that in the water fund we're going to increase capital expenditures by $460,000. We're going to increase revenue uh, in the form of SRF loan issue proceeds by $100,000. Again the net of 360 is what's going to hit the bottom line. 
in the local street fund, we're going to increase capital expenditures by $1,285,000, and we're going to increase revenues in the form of a transfer in from the local street fund of 685000 The difference of 600000 will be the net increase to expenditures in um, the local street fund. And again, this is essentially two years' worth of adjustments put into a single year that will be encumbered forward into next year's budget for whatever items had not been spent this year. So does everybody follow that? Kind of a lot, I apologize, and it's budget and accounting, so it's obnoxious to say the best. So I, I don't know that I could explain it like you did. Let me just say that. Well, let me give you my cell phone. In case you have <laughs> That's the key piece right there. So does anyone have any questions for Dave? No, I think the simple explanation is that you basically you're moving costs between different categories but in the same budget year, but you're also moving costs that are being incurred this year from the future, from next year's budget, because it's being spent earlier. Whatever's left over will be right. Going transfer. We're bringing, we're bringing future year budgets forward because they're getting the work done faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this year's budgets will be higher, but when you get out a year or two for the next person, those budgets will be lower because they've already done the work. Right. They're not unexpected costs. It's just a, it's a matter of where you're. No, the only increases are, like I said, the internal labor. Uh, which was not included. So the, the very small component of the increase is the 500 something thousand. The rest of the big stuff is really just bringing it forward. So, all right. So it is a public hearing. Okay. I'm going to sit down. You guys need to do your thing. We need three fifths vote. Um, if there are no other questions. Okay. Well, are there any other questions for Dave? Okay. Very good. Thank good? you. All right. Thank you. All right. So this is public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there any comments from the public as it relates to this issue? My name is John Tarrant, 4213 Oak Ridge Drive. I'm in phase three, two, excuse me, of the, well, I was in phase two. I'm not sure where I am now, if that's moving faster than, than originally anticipated. So that, that's one of the questions that I have is, is this going to affect when the work is going to be done in my, name, in my part of the neighborhood? If they're moving faster than they anticipated, when is the work going to be happening in my, in my area? That's for my knowledge, because I care about my stuff the first, if I got to know what's going on. The other thing I wanted to talk about is some of these engineering and administrative costs, I assume, are in part of someplace else in the budget. If they're not additional resources that were added at this time, they must, they must have been, a, if they're internal resources, they must be middle employee employees. So they must have been someplace else in the budget, I would assume. So that wouldn't concern me. What I am concerned about, though, is if we're moving additional costs into what's available from the fund, then is that going to impact what can be done if there are additional issues that, are, that need to be addressed as the project progresses forward? Um, and I think there are. Um, in what limited time I've had in talking to people in the neighborhood, uh, uh, let me start one other thing. I am not, um, my house was built in 88, so I already have a footage drain disconnect program, I have a sump pump, I'll let it. That part of the program doesn't affect me. What does affect me is if the water comes up through the sanitary sewer anyway from, from 
uh, not of sufficient participation in the program. And that's what my concern is. And talking to the people that I've talked about, and this is not very scientific. I mean, I just wander around talking to people when I go on my walks. And um, my impression has been that many people are not going to participate. And what I thought I had heard is you need like 70% participation in order to meet the, the reduction in, in load that you were looking for from this program so that the, the, the Moreland pumping station would have sufficient capacity. If that's the case, what I would encourage you to consider is, first of all, have, let's try to find out as quickly as possible who is and isn't going to um, participate and whether or not if the, we don't have sufficient participation, we have to look at what's going on with the Moreland pumping station and further downstream, I guess, also to assure that my basement and everyone else's basement doesn't get um, have backups in it. I think that's all I okay. have. Thank you very much. All right, is there any other comments from the public? John Lynn, 4604 Oak Ridge Drive. First of all, I'd like to compliment you on the fact that you're moving forward faster than you can because if you can spend the money now when we're in these days of 7 8% inflation rate a year, anything that we can get done sooner is going to reduce the overrun that's obviously going to happen on the project at this point in time. And, but I'm worried about if you move that stuff out, if it did not come specifically from streets and things in the Moreland District. In the Moreland, if you noticed on the thing, the Moreland District overwhelms any of the other spending on Concept 5. It's primarily all in the Moreland District where all the money's getting spent. If that money that's been taken out of next year's budget goes into the Moreland District, does that mean we're going to delay the repair of other streets and so forth in town? I mean, we've got to come up with money to replace that. And I, I don't know what they're going to do. And the other point that I'd like to make is that John alluded to is the fact that we have this project divided up into a public phase, a private phase, and a bunch of different things. And the people in the neighborhood that I talked to Nobody knows what's going on. I know we're posting things that what phase you're going to be in relative to the actual disconnecting of your homes to the new storm sewers and so forth. But nobody knows when their street's going to get torn up. We talk to the people that are out on the on the job, working on the job, and they say, well, Oak Ridge is going to be next. We're, going to, we're moving fast enough, we're going to get Oak Ridge uh, this year. Well, that wasn't the original plan or anything, but nobody knows. And they're asking us because we're walking around the neighborhood on two or three times a week just to monitor what's going on. And so n nobody in the city seems to be communicating to the people. We can find out on the thing from the stuff that's directed specifically at the disconnect, but 
people, people want to know when they're not going to have access to their driveway and when all that's going to happen. So the, the city has been remiss in notifying the people. Something needs to be done to alert people on a weekly basis what's happening. The other thing I would like to comment on is the, the way things have gone down so far on Moreland and Partridge Avenue where we've cut power lines and we've cut gas lines, these are significant safety incidents. If you, if you break a gas line open or if you cut an electrical cable, there's a danger of a fire or explosion if from the gas line. Electrocution, if you cut inadvertently a power cable. If, if, if this were a private uh, project, for example, one like I've done in Dow, the job had been shut down, there had been safety meetings and everything to correct the situation to see that this doesn't happen again. Now we've done the first step on Moreland and Partridge. I want to know what we're going to do to prevent those things from happening again in the future as you move to the next streets. Because it's just not acceptable to be taking those kind of risks. I mean, how, how would you people feel if somebody gets electrocuted on the job and dies? You know, it's, it's serious business when you're cutting into power cables and dealing with gas lines. And I know it's a mess. I've talked to the inspectors in the area. The underground situation in the Moreland district is a mess. You know, where the lines are, there's hundreds of flags and stuff out where they've identified where underground things are. But still we're cutting cables and gas lines. It's just, that's not acceptable and something needs to be done. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. I know that doesn't have to do with the budget, but it's an opportunity to make you aware of the situation that's going on. People are not very happy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Any other comments? Okay, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. John, will you please read the resolution? This resolution amends the 2022 to 2023 local street and water fund budget to reflect updated cost <coughs> estimates for Concept 5 projects. We have a motion to accept the resolution. So move. Second. Okay, first and second. Okay, so before we go into discussion, Mr. Keenan, can, do you have some comments there? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to just kind of comment on those items that were germane to the agenda item, if you will. Um, so the, the first question was about um, when is my phase going to be done? I'm just, again, I, I don't, that's not, okay. I can't respond to that. It's not part of what, what I was, was here to do. Um, the other question, uh, internal costs, engineering, and uh, water department mostly. So the point was made, <coughs> would there be savings elsewhere in the budget? There absolutely would be if these folks um, if they would have been charging their time to some other project or some other maintenance, they will be working on this project instead. Um, so it's not going to be in addition to the overall budget. So someplace else, uh, there's potential for some savings there. So that's, that's very true. Um, the question about 
we're spending next year's budget this year. Well, we're not really doing that. Um, we're essentially increasing what we're going to spend this year and next year by limiting what had been programmed to spend the third year out and the fourth year out. And um, in terms of impacting our availability to do our regular engineering program that you guys approved through CIP, that's already built into this. And so those funds are already part of the projections. And we have several million dollars of SRF funds that may not even be spoken for. So if something of any size comes up and it's considered an eligible expense that we have to do, it's a change of scope of some sort, we do have um, funding available within the SRF to cover that. Um, let's see. So I think, and, and the point was made about Moreland. Moreland is having the biggest impact right now because they are, they're moving along. And I assume it's mostly weather-based, except for today. Um, they are making very good progress. And so not just this year, but next year, they're expected to continue at that pace. So yes, that was very observant. Moreland is probably the largest one right now that's causing us to have to move up our funding. So that's really all I have. Did I, were there questions that just I? Just a quick question. So with the transfer from the local street fund and everything, are we going to lose any projects? No. That are, okay, that's. No, that was actually. That was kind of one of the questions it sounded like they was bringing up was. Yeah, that was okay, money since that we're was doing the transfer, are right. we losing a project? We will not. Okay. No. Willis Street is, is for, for uh, 2024, and that's nice to know that that's not going to be postponed at all whatsoever. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a street that's around the corner from Part of the regular. I drive on every day. <laughs> the non-concept five work you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Yes. yes. We, we work very hard to try to protect those projects, so it wasn't all or nothing, if that makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Sure. All right. And then, Mr. K, we heard some things about communication and safety. Mm -hmm. I saw that you were... Yeah, there's a couple of things. So um, the, the first speaker talked about the effect on timing, and there is going to be impacts on that in terms of uh, projects are going to move quicker than they went. Uh, than they were originally estimated to be. Um, if uh, We don't have the detail with us here tonight because that's not relevant to the budget item, but what we would suggest that you do is contact the Water Reclamation Department directly and they can give you um, an indication of how much advanced they are from the original estimates, if that's one concern that you have. Um, there was also a question about the, uh, the communication was the other issue and the safety incidents with the cutting of the cables. We're aware of those. Um, Council's aware specifically on the communications that we are uh, working to get ahead of that. In part, it's been exacerbated by the speed of the projects moving quicker than we'd anticipated when they started off. We um, have a, an aggressive contractor in good weather, and, and they've moved quickly. Um, relative to the safety incidents, those are the private company uh, doing the work. We're aware of it. We're logging those, working with them, um, and trying to decrease those certainly as they go along um, as well. So those are, are items that we're aware of that are on our radar, and, and we are trying to address. Can, can some of these questions be addressed during the Wednesday, this coming Wednesday's uh, community meeting, the, tw um, the 28th? Yeah, I don't know that they're necessarily items that would come up in that meeting. Um, they, what, that meeting is specific to the footing drain program, and it's an opportunity for answers, questions and answers relative to the footing drain program itself. Um, but certainly, if an individual Should wanted to bring them up and have yeah. that question asked, um, again, it's largely a individual discussion that takes place at those meetings, so they could certainly be answered during that time. We'll, we'll probably talk about timing, though. Yeah, timing would be like one. That. I would hope I would that think. they would 
for a better education. Yeah, well, I, I, yes, we, we can do some of that. The, the timing, though, that we're talking about is really the public portions of the timing, not the footing drain program. So the footing drain program, I don't believe that we've set a date as to when that will start yet. Once we do, then we start to kick in some specific windows. Um, I think there's a 90-day, another 90-day, and then a 365-day window that kicks in once those notices start to go out. Those won't take place, though, until the public portions of the project are completed. So, but, but I'll talk to, uh, to Jared and his okay. team and, and see what we can do on that. So any other discussion on this? All right, then are you ready to vote? Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. Okay, that takes us now down to item number four, which has to do with um, a transit study. And Amy Bidwell is here to tell us about that. Thank you, Madam Mayor, uh, and good evening. Okay. I'm here to present on a Dial-A-Ride budget amendment. In 2022, Dial-A-Ride was awarded grant funds from the Michigan Department of Transportation to conduct a transit collaboration feasibility study. The purpose of the study is to look at County Connection of Midland and Dial-A-Ride to see if we can better collaborate to realize any efficiencies and potentially improve our service offerings. We published a request for proposal in January with a cost cap of $65,000 and we found that we only had one proposal. When we talked with different firms, they said that the cost cap was really what prevented them from applying. And MDOT suggested that we repost the proposal and remove the cost cap and see <coughs> if we get more interest. So we did so in March and we received four viable proposals. There's a selection committee that has reviewed those proposals with members from Dial-A-Ride, County Connection, the Michigan Department of Transportation, and the Midland Area Transportation Study. And we looked specifically at the proposals to see what the work plan said, what the qualifications of the firms were, if they had past tra transit experience, and uh, what the cost of the proposals were. And the selection um, committee decided that the RLS and associates proposal was the top proposal. Um, they were also the lowest bid. And they have experience specifically in Midland in 2016. They conducted the transportation needs study for the Midland Area Community Foundation. MDOT has agreed to provide the additional funding needed for the study. So they are willing to provide us with the $8,459 in grant funds that we need to do the study. So tonight we are asking to amend the 2022-2023 Dial-A-Ride budget to accept the funds and increase our expenses by that amount. And council set this evening um, to do the hearing and we're hoping that if the uh, budget amendment passes that we can have a resolution um, to move forward with the contract provided attorney approval um, and to issue a purchase order. All right, very good. Does anyone have any questions? Ms. Bidwell. Just curious. I know we're getting additional grant funding, but what happens to the one bid that we received that was within the $65,000 cap? Uh, that, that proposal, uh, they did actually reapply and they tweaked their proposal a little bit and they increased the cost, so they were also part of that selection pool of the four proposals. But no longer below 65000 Correct. Were okay. they above the 73? Yes, they were. Right. Any other questions? So did they get the initial proposal just wrong or they just 
they added a little bit in their um, in their proposals. So they mm -hmm. focused on um, a survey that they were going to promote within the community, mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what increased their cost. Okay. And the second time around. Okay. All right. Any other questions? All right. Thank you very much. Okay. This is a public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there anyone who has any comments on this particular topic? All right. Seeing none. We'll close the public hearing. And Sean, will you read um, item A, please, under 4, 4A. Amend the fiscal year 2022-23 dial-a-ride budget to increase revenues and expenditures by $8,459 to recognize additional grant funding from the Michigan Department of Transportation to cover the cost of the County Connection Dial-a-Ride Transit Study. Okay, can we have a motion to approve the resolution? So moved. Second. Second. Any discussion on this? All right, ready to vote? Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. Then that takes us to item number B, and if you'd please read that resolution. Authorize the mayor and city clerk to sign a contract as approved by the city attorney with RLS and Associates Incorporated of Dayton, Ohio, and authorize the accounting manager to issue a purchase order not to exceed $73,459 to allow the study to commence. Okay, can we have a motion to accept that resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second. Any discussion on this? Only that I point out that we had a special meeting just before this talking about regional cooperation, and here we are within the county trying to have the city and the, and the county. So it's, it is consistent with the kind of message that we're hearing from a, a broader regional perspective about greater coordination. So this is probably something that is generally seen as the kind of the direction we need to move. Good point. All right, ready to vote? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. Thank you very much. All right, that takes us now down to public comment. This is an opportunity for people to address council on issues relevant to council business, but not on tonight's agenda. Is there any public comment this evening? Uh, John Elson, 6106 Durgan Creek Parkway, Midland, Michigan. I've been up here a lot of times, I know, and probably people are sick and tired of me talking, but. I'm going to make this the last talk about this for a while. So, but I'm going to still talk about it because I think it's a very important subject. It's going to be about flooding and about roads too, but flooding in particular. And I'm going to bring back, I mean, the, at the last meeting I was here, the mayor brought something about the city contributing a lot of money to the Midland City Business Alliance. And I think that's great. I mean, they should. But I was talking about really the Midland Business Alliance Advisory Committee for Infrastructure. And I... Got, they gave us a packet, and the, not just the city of Midland was given money, but there's like 20 other people. They're all the foundations, all the big corporations, a bunch of environmental groups. So it, was, it just focuses the importance of flooding in Midland if all these people are talking about it. And if I remember the Planning Commission um, master plan when they talked about, when they sent out the survey, which I thought was not that good, was kind of biased, I still didn't, at the end of the day, Flooding was one of the biggest priorities in Midland, okay? So I'm going to go back again to the Midland Business Alliance Advisory Committee because I think what they did was how I look at planning, that's the way I, I like to plan. 
So they first they did the history. So I thought there were some really good points in here. One of them was, uh, this includes historic river crests that exceeded the major flood stage of 28, in, uh, 28 feet, which happened in 1986, 2013, 2014, 2017, and 2020. Does that, does that pattern say anything to anybody? It's getting worse, okay? That's what it's telling you. And it's also talked about damages, but this is really talking more about the last one in 2020, but as I remember from the past, I think the one in 2017 was like 650 homes and business were affected by that, it cost money. And it cost, I think, as I remember, well, was, I know it's tens of millions. I think somehow 70 million comes up to my, my, my mind, but I know the last one was like 2,500 businesses, but that's the dam's breaking. It's really not quite the same things we're looking at, but it definitely was a lot of money, $200 million. So there's a lot of things going on there. But what I liked about their planning, not only did they have the history, they did the surveys, they got the money, they did the surveys, they know what they're, they're looking at. Then they come up with a plan, what the goal is at the end of the day. And they came up with basically levies. But not only that, on that plan, if you listen to them when they were speaking, they had stage gates all the way through there. They had different points in which they're going to have to be by a certain time. And so basically they had a timeline. And then not only that, they started adding on to that, they had um, risk assessments. I can't remember how many times I heard it, but probably more than a half a dozen times where they talked about frequency of a, of a risk and the severity of each one of those things. So I'm sure, and I don't know if they have a risk register, but since it's a business or they operate like a business, this is actually how you plan. You have a risk assessment. You have risk registers. And you keep all these things in mind so you don't make the same mistakes over and over again. And you look at all the possibilities of what's going on. <coughs> so, and they also, at the end of it, when they had that all done, they actually had a cost. What it would cost you to do it, it was going to be a thing like $120 million is what it was going to cost to make this plan to come to fruition. And it was going to be until 2030 when it would be in, in completion. Up until then, they had to go past a, a number of stage gates. So basically, how I look at it right now, they're just in, they just finished stage gate one. They're probably going to stage gate two, which is a, some more environmental studies and so on and so forth. But that's the importance of this, of this group and what they did. I mean, this is the, how you properly plan. So I really like the way they did it. So now we get on to something I, I still have a problem with. Even... Even the Midland Business Advisory Committee on Infrastructure talked about Concept 5. This is not flooding. This is not what we're talking about in Concept 5. It is just to make the sanitary system more robust. And so let's describe what, which is which. The sanitary system is the water that goes from houses and businesses down the roads. You see the big uh, manhole covers. Okay, that's the sanitary system. It has to go to the wastewater treatment plant. It has to be treated before it can be pumped back into the Titabawassee River. Okay, that's, that's that. Storm water, completely different. That's the gutters along the, along the road that you're looking at. Where does that water go? Well, a lot of it goes into Sturgeon Creek. Some goes into retention. Some of it goes into Snake Creek. Some of it goes directly into the Titabawassee River. And some of it's detained and retained on the surface. <coughs> that's... that's Storm water. So 
They can't mix the two of them together. You can't say storm is both. You get one is one and one the other, they're, but they're both parts of the sewer system. So you can say sewer system, but not storm sewer system. So I think that's an important thing that you have to remember. So when we're talking about concept five, what have, we, what have they done in concept five? Well, to make the, make the sanitary system more resilient, they line pipes to prevent inflow. They've, they've, they're going to seal manhole covers to do the same thing. They got, they got to make sure the pump stations don't get over flooded. So they've done a lot of these things are actually storing some of the sewer water, uh, like in Sylvan Drain and big tanks. They're making the capacity of the pipe bigger. It has nothing to do with the storm. It has only to do with the sanitary system. So I think it's important that we note the difference between the two because if you're saying, if somebody's saying you're working on a storm sewer, but you're not really, you're just working on a sanitary system, <laughs> you confuse people and what you're doing. So words are powerful and they should be used properly in the proper concept. So what can be done now? This is something that was actually brought up at the, at the that meeting that was at the uh, Loon Stadium. Actually, it was brought up actually by our mayor also at the city, state of the city. What can be done now? Well, one of the obvious things is clean out Sturgeon Creeks, clean out Inman Drain, so that the water can pass down those drains quicker and get to the Titabwasi rather than causing log jams, filling up these places and having the water go everywhere, you know, into the floodplain and over the floodplain. So that's one. And that they, I thought the uh, what I heard from uh, Bill Schutte was $2 million to do that. So I don't see that in the budget anywhere. We've only been talking about, I think the flood was in 19, uh, 2017, and nothing's been done about that. Nothing, no money, as far as I know, has been spent on flooding. Um, the other one is the environmental groups came up with the, the thing that I think is very good. It's you build retention and detention areas. So big cities around the world around the United States, even locally, you build retention areas. Cook School is a good example of where you could do that. It's a 25 or 20 acres of land that could actually be brought down in elevation so when Inman Drain overflows, that you've created a floodplain so that water can go someplace and it can store a lot of water because it's 350,000 gallons per acre foot that you can, that's, that's how much water is in an acre foot. So if you had 20, it's 20 times that, right? If it's two feet, then you add twice that amount on top of that. So what you, what you, as you're building things and you're taking away floodplain, things that would normally flood when these creeks and streams overflow, and you've now taken that away, that water has to be put back in the creek. So someplace down the line, it's going to overflow again. So, and it happens downstream. So this is the important thing we have to, Stop building along along all these flood, all these creeks and drains and all these kind of things, unless you come up with a concept to hold that water so all the floodplain you've removed is replaced. And I'll give you an example that I, I watch Fox News and I watch uh, CNBC. I'm not sure where I got the uh, this from, but it was one of those two. Where actually in Florida, the developer had whatever 200 acres. Half of the amount was used for water. It was a flooded, floody area. It was prone to flooding, not all the time, just sometimes. So what they did was that 200 acres, 100 of it was used for flood. 
In other words, they had to make it more resilient so they didn't make it worse. And what we're doing here is we just keep making it worse and worse and worse every year as we do the things we're doing right now, allowing building in a lot of flood areas. And even though I think the state is crazy with their one policy where if you're building in a floodplain in Midland, that you can buy someplace in Bay City and get, get away with it. I mean, to me, that just makes no sense at all. You know, so, but we shouldn't have to go by that rule. That makes no sense. I mean, you just have to be a little bit more logical. So, let's talk about money. Okay, because I know these things cost money. There's nothing for free. But if, if you're talking to the 650 homes that got, uh, that got nailed, yeah, they think how we spend money is important. So how did we spend money over the last number of years? Well, we uh, spent a million and a half to build the Sugnet Road extension. That was good. We spent another million and a half probably on the streetscape. You know, we spent... <coughs> We have, we have the road diet. I don't know how much money we spent on the road diet. We have downtown development we're spending a lot of money on. Um, we have the miracle field, which I like, but, you know, we still spend a lot of money on it. Um, and now we're talking about $3.7 million and making Ashman and Rod back to, to one-way or two-way roads. <laughs> don't you think that money could be spent better? A million, half a million dollars on a toilet downtown? And I can't think of all the things we spent money on. But what if we spent money on the things that really matter? Like, tell us 650 homes that you'd rather spend it on making two-way road down Ashman or, or you want to protect their house. What do you think they would say? What about the businesses that got affected? How about the insurance payments that all these things got? How much aggravation we caused by making poor decisions? And not only that, we we're poor planners. So the people in Moreland, the people in Whitewood, they're mostly affected with the reason, the reason in Concept 5, and I understand it. We haven't planned properly. So if we were going to build north and west of town, we should have been, the developers have to find a way to get that water so we don't cause extra volumes to have to go and increase the capacities in their areas. That's the important thing. That's called planning. That's being for, in foresight, not backsight. Not, we're not having to to react to things. We need to be proactive and think ahead. And I think that's the most important thing, is to be proactive. And so when I talk, when I listen to the Midland Business Alliance thing, that would be part of the risk assessment. They're thinking ahead in the future. What is Midland going like to be like in 20 years? Not what we're thinking about right now. We're just reacting to things as they go right away. So <clears throat> I, like, I like to think of things. And I mean, I'm an engineer, OK? I can't help it. I think in pragmatic terms. I think in, you know, you do things in a certain way. I don't care what they really look like. They have to function well first before they look good. To me, that's the most important thing. So to me, when I think a hierarchy of needs, do I think streetscape is more important than flooding? No. Do I think good road conditions are more important than, than uh, two-way two roads? No. I think what's more important is we have good roads. And if you talk to somebody on Swede Road or... Suck, or uh, not Sugnet, uh, Saginaw Road or Jefferson or name a road near you that's in need of repair, there's a lot of them in Midland and we're not spending the money. Instead, we're spending money on other things. So these other things are more important. So, like I said, I'm not going to be talking for a while because, I mean, if I haven't convinced anybody yet, I ain't going to ever convince anybody that these things are important. 
So I think I just might as well just be quiet for a while. Maybe I'll even miss a few meetings and go to Wisconsin or something. But I think it's important that youth guys think about it. And I don't want it to come because there's a disaster that I heard about this a year ago, and now it's, a, now it's come to, to your life. I want you to think about it now. So I know that I, I come across pretty tough and pretty rough. But like I said, engineers aren't supposed to be very diplomatic, and I'm not. So that's just the way it is. I'm sorry about that to whoever I offend. In fact, I talked to the mayor a couple times on the phone. I like our mayor. She's a nice person. She'd be much more popular than me if we had to compare the two. I like her, okay? As a person, do I agree with her? Not all the time. I'd like to agree with her more, but not all the time do I. Uh, Marty, he's a nice guy. He likes Glug, okay? What can, can I say about that? So he's a nice guy, too. And, of course, uh, Tim, he's a rock and roller. What can I say? I mean, you rock and roll, you're a rock and roller. And, of course, Steve, I mean, I've been with, talking with Steve for a long time. I'm very happy that he's my councilman. And, and all I can say is that I'm glad he's my councilman because he's very easy to talk to and we speak a lot of the same language. So I'm very happy about that. So, um, like I said, I'm sorry if I've hurt anybody's feelings, but I think these things are, are really important. I was going to say damn important, but I think damn's an okay word, actually. You can say that. But so that's all I want to say for a okay. while. Great. Thank you very much. Any other public comment? Down here. 213 Oakridge Drive, Midland. Um, there was a proposal put forward to put in 65 houses, which is the limit of what I know about where the program is set up to look at how we handle sanitary and storm runoff. At in, in, in a case like that. And I've looked at that case and heard what they were planning. And, and for storm runoff, they had a pretty good plan set up for that. They had retention set up, and they were actually going to, um, the from the retention ponds, they were going to discharge into another, not back into the, the areas that we were concerned about flooding, but it was going to go in another area. So I, th I think that there's been a fair amount of looking at uh, what's been going to happen for stormwater and retention to make sure that that doesn't make the flooding any worse. And uh, my comment, I guess, is, is there a way for me to find out what the, those plans are as far as what the programs would be for Midland? Because I think you've got some good, sto good story to tell on that as far as w what your plan was, at least for that one area that does. Is this the development you're talking about? 65 houses. I don't remember what the name of the development No, but is, was. It, is it out by Stark and yes. Wackerly yes. and, and so sort of the far west yes. portion of the city? But if you look at the new developments, they've had retention programs put in there for the stormwater runoff, which I would think is what, what we so would really be looking for. you're looking for the city standards mm -hmm. for retention? Yes, and uh, it looks to me like you have a fairly good program set up. I don't know what other you know, whether or not that's something that could be put out so that people know what it is. So, so okay. John, where you would find that out is, depending if you're looking at a specific development proposal, you'd speak to the Director of Planning and Community Development, Jacob Keene, or the Planning Department to find out what mm -hmm. a specific proposal was. If you're looking for the general standards, this is the City Engineering Department that would have those and be able to share those with you. Okay. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much. Any other public comment? Okay.
Thank you very much. All right, that takes us now down to item number five, which has to do with the Housing Commission annual report. Mr. Kane is here to tell us about that. Good evening. Yeah. So you want to talk to me? <laughs> Here's your right there. Right there. <laughs> yeah. I'll be here. So uh, good evening, uh, Mayor Donker and uh, members of council. Um, here tonight to present uh, the Housing Commission's annual report for fiscal year 22-23. And you may be asking yourself, why is an annual report not on consent as you would normally see it? Um, and the short answer is the Housing Commission has not produced an annual report in a number of years at best. Um, it looks like at some point about 15 to 20 years ago, the planning department would routinely produce a report of all of its activities, which included senior housing and its work with the housing commission. But at some point that practice ended, we shifted to a more traditional planning commission annual report format as required by um, state law in regards to planning and the practice of reporting out on an annual basis for the housing commission didn't continue. Uh, we've had some conversations at the Housing Commission over the last year about how it positions itself within the broader kind of boarding commission ecosystem of the city, what its role is. And in doing that, we were looking back to the code, um, section 2-158 that establishes the Housing Commission as a function of the city government. And that actually calls for the Housing Commission to provide a report to city council annually. So the Housing Commission seized on that and said, we really should be doing that. We'd like council to know what we're working on. We'd like the general public to know what we're working on. And that's one way for them, for us to do that. Um, and so we are here tonight to resume that practice with an annual report. Just to provide a little bit of background on what the Housing Commission is, it was created in 1975. Um, under authority that's granted to the city under Public Act 18 of 1933, which has to do with housing. So the state enables uh, local units of government to create housing commissions. And under that act, there's a variety of authorities that a housing commission can have, which include all those on the screen. It's uh, actually a pretty impressive list. They can purchase, acquire, construct, maintain, operate, improve, extend, or repair housing facilities and eliminate housing conditions which are detrimental to the public, peace, health, safety, morals, and welfare. So a pretty broad potential dictate under state law. Before you go on, I, I, I picked up on that too, and I was surprised that, does the Housing Commission actually do any of those things? So my understanding is when the Housing Commission was created in 1975, it was around the idea and the need for the senior housing uh, communities uh, here in Midland. And so this was really a way to focus the city's efforts around those senior housing projects and get them constructed. And, up and operational and to this day we'll go into that a little bit further about what our housing commission actually does today but we continue to interface with our two senior housing projects as well as other senior housing in the community that's privately owned um, through our cdbg work um, to you know kind of pulse on the housing uh, ecosystem in the community is a common way that people phrase it um, but we don't do a lot directly um, through the housing commission in these areas any longer uh, but there is authority under state law to do those things. Yeah, I was just struck by it. I wasn't aware that we actually do any of these currently. Um, well, so let me, I'll speak a little bit about okay. how we do do that work. <clears throat> so the Housing Commission uh, advises city staff, the city manager and city council on housing related issues. It is composed of five members that are appointed uh, by the city manager. And we have regular quarterly meetings. Um, they're held in overflow uh, on the first Tuesday of each quarter at three o'clock. Those meetings are not currently televised and that is something that we're looking at potentially shifting those meetings into council chambers so that we can televise those meetings and increase the level of awareness about the activities of the Housing Commission and get the community better engaged with their work. 
So there's a variety of things that, uh, to Councilman Arnowski's point, that's, a, like I said, a laundry list of potential uh, responsibilities of the Housing Commission. So talk a little bit about, more about what they specifically do today. One of their important roles here in Midland is to help oversee the expenditure of community development block grant funds. So the city of Midland is a entitlement community under the CDBG program, which means that every year, based on a federal formula, we receive a uh, amount of funds that we're able to budget and spend in the community to help low to moderate income individuals and households in the city. Um, we do that by first creating a five-year plan that outlines broad goals for how we plan to spend those funds. And then within each fiscal year, we adopt an annual action plan, which outlines what we plan to do that particular fiscal year and also adopt an annual budget. And so this is one way where we do work, uh, to Councilman Arnowski's question, directly at property acquisition and remediating um, housing uh, conditions that are in the community that might be less than ideal. So we typically, through the CDBG program, the city will fund projects within our senior housing uh, communities, but we typically dedicate funds to subrecipients. And so we've got agencies in the community like Habitat for Humanity or Home to Stay or Cleveland Manor that are working on these issues. And the Housing Commission helps to direct those CDBG funds to those agencies so that they can do that work rather than having the city directly engaged in that. And that really comes back to the philosophy that is um, within the five-year consolidated plan about how the city will approach the use of those CDBG dollars in the community is through partnerships, is through working with those outside agencies to help further the mission. Yeah, just to elaborate on my point, the Housing Commission itself does not have a budget that it then spends specifically on acquisition or operating or those kinds of things. It's, it's, doing, it's an advisory role is kind of how it's established currently. Any of, the, any of the budgetary work that the Housing Commission does would ultimately be subject to City Council approval. So it doesn't operate independently, doesn't have, um, it doesn't operate that way in Midland, but we do have housing funds within the city budget that the uh, Housing Commission regularly makes budget recommendations on. Those could even extend to our um, building trades program with the public schools and other programs where we do have some housing funds within the city budget that we do use from time to time. But it's not on the scope and scale of a housing commission you might see in a larger city around the country where they may actually be managing several dozen public housing complexes. And it's true even in other smaller cities where they may have a public complex where the housing commission plays a more active role in the day-to-day the -day maintenance and budgeting for that complex. I can give you an example. I'm actually a former housing commissioner myself, so I've been on the other side of things working with staff. Um, I really beat them up regularly. It was fun. <laughs> Don't often get to do that in my role, but uh, over in the city of Mount Pleasant, that housing commission works directly with staff that oversee two um, senior and low-income low housing projects and has essentially independent authority to develop a budget and expend funds that are granted to um, the federal government. So it's a subsidiary of city government there, um, but it doesn't directly report to city commission there um, and operates very differently. That statute is very broad, so housing commissions take a lot of different forms around the state and country. In addition to our entitlement funds, it's a very unique time in the community development block grant world because we do have our declared disaster recovery funds currently about $5.4 million that the Housing Commission has also helped the city to define a purpose for um, through the annual uh, plan and budget process. Second way that the Housing Commission's engaged in uh, the community in the housing world is through payment in lieu of taxes. And so 
Council's familiar that a pilot is a, essentially a fee that a developer agrees to pay the city in lieu of paying their normal ad valorem property tax rate. And that is a requirement for most projects to obtain low income housing tax credits through the state of Michigan. Um, the Housing Commission will routinely receive presentations on those requests when they're referred from City Council and then review those requests against a variety of criteria which include specific criteria that City Council has established for the review of pilot requests and then makes a recommendation back to City Council on uh, your potential action in terms of approval of, of those requests. And we've done um, several of those over the last um, few years that have been larger uh, multifamily projects, a little bit different than the historical norm with the city's pilot program, but nevertheless a really important function for the Housing Commission to help vet out and provide some context for those requests before council ultimately makes a final consideration of them. And as I mentioned, the City Housing Commission originally came about as a function of an identified need within the community to address senior housing. And so the Housing Commission does receive regular reports um, from our two housing facilities, Washington Woods and Riverside Place, on their operations, on vacancy rates, on where they're at in terms of their budget and staffing, um, just to kind of keep a pulse on that from a, from a board perspective. For the last year, uh, these are just some examples of what the Housing Commission's been up to. As I mentioned, uh, we started the year with a look at what um, the kind of the role and function of the Housing Commission is, uh, what opportunities there were within all of the great work that takes place in the community around housing. And as you all know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things out in the community. There's a lot of people just within city government doing a lot of things in the housing space. So the Housing Commission wanted to dig in and see where there were needs that weren't being met and how they might be able to fill those gaps and where there might be needs that they were duplicating and they could you know, step back and step out of the way. So they've set some goals for themselves over the, that they plan to address over the next couple of years that will help them to uh, be a little bit more tactical in how they deploy themselves in their time. Um, they've reviewed and provided you all with a recommendation on the Lincoln Park Residence Phase 2 pilot. Um, they've continued their work on the CDBG budget. Um, which as you know is never ending. We amend and we amend and we amend and we amend and then we adopt and amend and I'll be back. I promised you I was going to be here tonight with an amendment or I'll be here next meeting with that amendment. Um, we were about to have to amend it again so we're holding it back and you'll get a two-part single amendment package uh, at your next meeting. Um, they worked on updating the CDBG Citizen Participation Plan which is a requirement of HUD and then uh, most recently part of their goals for the year were to bring outside experts in to provide presentations much like your special meeting tonight and so at our most recent meeting uh, we had a presentation from legal services of eastern michigan about fair housing which was very interesting uh, very illuminating to the housing commission on how they can help uh, ensure there's fair housing practices in here in midland so with that your resolution tonight would receive and file the housing commission annual report and i'd welcome any questions mayor doctor any questions for Mr. Kane? I have one. So when is the next time we would know, and I think this comes from the census data, like our shortage of houses in Midland and how are we making progress if we are? So just kind of curious when that will be. Sure. So the census itself doesn't address whether or not community has a surplus or a shortage of housing, and it doesn't typically get into the kind of details on housing units that would help you make an informed decision about what your needs are. So census data on housing will often talk about age. It might talk about the status of the occupants of a unit. It might talk about the number of bedrooms. 
in a housing unit, but usually have to dig in a little bit more to get more sophisticated data on your local market. So As would they conduct their own housing study for the city of Midland? The housing commission? Yeah. It's not Before. typically <laughs> something that a board would do themselves, but mm -hmm. we do, as you know, have the 2018 housing study. Right. That data is now five years, a uh, mm -hmm. pandemic and a flood um, out of date. Um, and so it would likely be a good time to begin looking at updating that data. Okay. Um, that may or may not include a full-fledged study. Mm -hmm. um, the good news, bad news, back to the special meeting tonight, is that because the growth trajectory of the city and the region is relatively flat, um, we wouldn't expect that that data would have changed too dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, we do know that costs have obviously gone up and we can interpolate from that some likely outcomes that have arisen. Uh, we know that people are in a national sense buying larger homes, um, buying more expensive homes, that there's a, generally a shortage of homes around the, the country and our friends in real estate tell us that that's true here in Midland as well. Um, but they could be part, they were part of that process uh, in developing the 2018 housing study and I'm sure they'd be happy to be part of any updates or reviews mm -hmm. of our progress against it. Okay, good. All right, any other questions for Mr. Kane? Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any comments from the public on this? Hi, Sharon Mortensen, 2905 Chippewa Lane. And um, thank you for the opportunity to make a quick comment. Um, I am chair of the Housing Commission, so I'm, I'm very excited to have Jacob do this report as we were working on um, what our goals were for the year. We realized that it was very important to inform you. And as he mentioned, we are here to serve in an advisory role both to city staff, to the city manager, and to you as city council. So we welcome feedback from you if there are things that you'd like us to address. And I've heard already some curiosity around the housing study mm -hmm. and what we, what we know now, what may be different than that. And as Jacob mentioned, we set goals for the upcoming really two-year period. And um, those, one of those is to have a speaker about a critical housing need at each of our city council meetings. I'm sorry, each of our housing commission meetings. <laughs> and uh, you don't need any more presentations. <laughs> um, at each of our housing commission meetings. And Jacob mentioned the first of those, and we have others that we're scheduling during the year. Another one of our goals is to bring partners together for discussion because we know there is a challenge with housing in our community. I'm sure you all hear it. We certainly hear it in the community. So to bring partners together and have further discussion. Another is to look at incentive for developers. Is there anything we can do to incentivize further housing development within our community? And if so, what would, what would that be? And then to identify one to three key zoning changes that may be needed to enable certain kinds of housing to move forward. So those are some of the things that we're planning to work on. Again, we would invite, if you have additional feedback for us, things you'd like to see us address, we're very happy to do so. So thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Any other comments on this? I've been curious about that too, since the 2018 study. And since I've been on council, I've been aware that Center City is being built, East Lawn is being built, and the two Shaheen properties on Bayless is being built. Deshano. And so, uh, yeah, but so if, it seems like we're almost caught up to, I think we're 1,700 units shy on 2018 on that housing study. And it's just doing the units that are in the public domain. It seems like we're pretty close to it. All right, thank you. All right, would you please read the resolutions, Sean? This resolution will receive and file 
the 2022-23 Housing Commission Annual Report. Can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Okay. Second. First and second. Okay. Any discussion? We heard Tim's comments. Any others? Yeah, I think I'd like to just, as we talk about housing and, and housing shortages and housing excuse me, availability and affordable housing, those types of things, as I understand, a lot of the data comes out on a county level, and it seems to me that what we are doing as a, as a city, which is, by the way, just a small corner of the county, not even centrally located in the county, is taking the full burden of, of developing housing on our shoulders. And I think, you know, from a, from a perspective, is that the, the highest value per acre, per whatever lot, is within the city. And I'm not sure it's necessarily fair that we should put that total burden on within the city. So it's not that it shouldn't be available, but that we need to look at this in the context in which the data is provided. So if it's a county level issue, it should be looked at as a county and not try and solve the county's problems within the city borders. Okay. Any other comments? But I would say we still have an issue in the city. When I hear um, there's open roles, open jobs, and people aren't coming because there's no attainable housing here, they don't want to live elsewhere, it's still a problem. Yeah, and that's where I guess I would disagree. I, there's a lot of places that they're very high value that I'd love to live, but I would never be able to afford it. Just because I want to live there doesn't mean I get to live there. Um, you know, as long as there's a place for me to live, and I think that's where we need to look at this on a broader, on a broader perspective in terms mm -hmm. of at a county level in this case. Uh, but even in the city, we don't have very much moderate, medium to low income health. But uh, affordable or attainable housing for those that are at low to medium income level. We have lots of folks that work at, you know, the hospital that can't even find a place to rent here. So it is an issue. I mean, I think that's where, you know, I'll use your line, Diane, of, you know, I'd like to see the data. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think they have it. Right. I, I think, Madam Mayor, if I may, that, that's one of the things that um, the Housing Commission is, is a great resource. Whether you need to allocate funds to it is a question, of course, but, mm -hmm. um, but it's one of the things that they need to look at the many layers of that because it's mm -hmm. a question of, um, as you've indicated, the value of the homes and the pricing of the homes, the availability, um, the realtors. Uh, every month we get updates from them, and I think the last update I heard was that in the entire county, there was only something like 63 available units on the market. So mm -hmm. supply is, a, is extremely limited. You start to get to issues such as transportation and the lack yeah. of ability to access uh, properties out in the country and then work in, or out in the county, excuse me, and then work in the city becomes a real factor for people mm -hmm. at different income levels as well. So, it, and there's many more. Those are just some of the examples that are out there. Um, and yeah, we, we can take on some of the things like Councilman Solar was mentioning. Um, those four projects, though, don't come close to totaling 1,700 units. So, so 1,700 units, we might have, might have got to a quarter, a fifth maybe, uh, of those units if and when they're all built. And none of them have been built and opened up and available yet. So um, there, there's, again, a lot of factors, but that's where the Housing Commission can play a role in saying, what are the hurdles? What are the things? What is fair? What is not fair? Um, as we go through mm -hmm. that, so just something to keep in mind as we move forward. Yeah, I think there's great folks on the housing commission, and I think as we think about housing more, as it become because it is a really important issue. I think it's a resource that we should take advantage of, and you know think about what's important to us, and as we move forward as it relates to planning and housing, you know share share those thoughts with them, and you know hopefully then 
you know, working together, we can, you know, make better decisions. All right, are we ready to vote? Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. All right, that takes us down to item number six, which has to do with riverfront development. And Selena Harris is here to tell us about that. So we've, we've had lots of conversation tonight about where our community is, what we do for our community. Um, sports and leisure and activities are one of those things that adds to the quality of life for our community and is an attraction for those who either live here or are looking to live here or just want to visit Midland. So I've had the chance to work on this wonderful project that we are bringing before uh, City Council tonight for your consideration of support and further action on. So we're talking about the Reimagine the Riverfront project that we've been spending just under a year working on. There it is. Okay. So um, actually, uh, this is coming to you from the Downtown Development Authority and how we uh, started working on this project was simultaneous uh, last fall, the Department of Public Services, uh, Director Karen Murphy, began a process to look at the riverfront redevelopment, anticipating necessary changes being made to the farmer's market area and a need to develop a master plan for this riverfront space. In October of 2021, the DDA simultaneously began working on their strategic master plan for um, what we were focusing on for our 2022 plan of work. And this focus came to be on the riverfront redevelopment, um, which is a, a very uh, important area in the Downtown Development Authority District. With the loss of the farmer's market area, um, this riverfront space is more of a passive park and is um, very integral to supporting the businesses downtown. People can come downtown to do recreation and then maybe come up and do shopping and dining or vice versa, do some shopping and dining and then maybe spend the evening at the riverfront. So uh, simultaneously, we both started working on this project and um, because public services had a ton of work on their plate, they were very happy to shift this to the Downtown Development Authority. So in March of 2022, the DDA appointed a Riverfront Redevelopment Steering Committee to look at the redevelopment of the north side of the Titabawassee <coughs> River in downtown Midland from the N20 Bridge to the Poseyville Bridge. So basically that white space there in this visual shows all the available land uh, to downtown Midland available for us to look at redeveloping. We put together a steering committee that uh, encompassed many different um, viewpoints from the community, including our own DDA and MDBA, the MBA uh, who runs the farmer's market, the Midland Parks and Recreation Commission, we had a citizen commi committee member on this, as well as representatives from our local foundations who historically supported projects in this area. So if we take a look at how the downtown riverfront space is uh, comprised now, we have uh, the giant circle of the farmer's market, which um, is kind of smack dab in the middle of this park. We have park land that is available for the city to utilize. And what most folks may not recognize is that this space here is actually owned by the H Hotel, 
Um, they are very gracious in allowing us to use it quite a bit, but that property is owned by the hotel and isn't available for our redevelopment, as well as this parking lot here. This is owned uh, by the H Hotel as well. Um, again, they're very generous at allowing us to use parking for our events in this lot, but this is not our lot to develop. We have the Gerstacker Spray Park that's down there. Um, the rail trail runs through the middle of this park space. And then we have several public parking lots in this area that make up about 292 spaces that are our public, our, our public parking spaces to utilize. Mm -hmm. Are they putting a fence around <coughs> that entire parking lot? Are they? Is the H Hotel, it says it's going to have gated fence? No, uh, I, will, I will get to that, okay. but as, as um, um, kind of a compromise for us to be able to use their parking for most of our events, um, we are looking at um, providing some gated opportunities. Uh, from time to time they have weddings and events that they are hosting that they want to preserve their parking for. So um, we're going to see if we can't work out a compromise where we could develop some gating mechanisms that would allow them to secure their parking for their events while still allowing us to use uh, their entire parking lot for most of our events. So this is um, a visual of, of kind of how the riverfront looks now. Um, with the uh, farmer's market space, uh, the trail that comes into the uh, Tridge area and farmer's market space, the Gerstacker Spray Park, and the parking that is along this southern uh, area of the park next to the riverfront. <clears throat> Historic riverfront uses here include the farmer's market. We are now in our fourth year without a farmer's market in this riverfront space. Um, in September of 2022, the Midland Business Alliance announced that the farmer's market would not be returning to its legacy location. This is a large footprint, as you saw at the top of the meeting, or the top of this presentation. This is a large footprint in the riverfront area, and the space receives limited use other than farmer's market activity. And the structure itself is more than 25 <coughs> years old and in need of structural repair or replacement. Additionally, this space hosts a handful of festival and events. River Days is our biggest event that takes place down here, and this is kind of a photo that shows how they utilize this space. Tunes by the Tridge is utilized by this space every Thursday night throughout the summer months. And quite a bit, we move the mobile stage into this space for events taking place. The mobile stage is more than 26 years old. It's in need of replacement. The labor costs alone to haul it down, set it up, take it back uh, weekly for Tunes by the Tridge is a significant labor cost to the city. Additionally, we have the Gerstacker Spray Park that's in this area. Again, another fabulous facility that's more than 20 years old. While it looks great on the surface, the underground operations are struggling and our parks department um, manages to piece it together every year, but they, they too are interested in potentially replacing this spray park with a newer version. So we took these items and um, Pam Blau from PM Blau Inc., landscape urban designer, um, worked with our group to develop a series of community meetings. 
So we had community and stakeholder input sessions last June. We had two in-person opportunities with about 50 people showing up to participate and give us their ideas and their visions for what the riverfront would look like. And then we did an online survey, survey that resulted in 356 uh, survey responses. And from that, we gathered lots of ideas about how folks in our community would like to see this space reimagined. We, we spent a lot of time as a committee looking through those, trying to meld them down into a vision for this space. And this is the vision that the committee developed to try to keep us focused as we were working on plans for this area. So what we heard from the community most of all is that they wanted a flexible year-round gathering space that could accommodate event, events, leisure activities, and recreational experiences that this space would connect to and complement the downtown business environment and other riverfront areas. This is kind of like the third or fourth space along the river that has park opportunities. And it's also a welcoming place for all ages and abilities. So this is the design that was developed uh, through the steering committee and with the help of Pam Blau, um, architecture and design. And I'll walk you through some of the features of this development. And again, it represents most everything we heard from the community. We couldn't pack everything that folks wanted to see into this space. So some of the items that we weren't able to accommodate here, like a full-on kayak and canoe launch, really eats up a lot of property to be able to bring um, the equipment in, uh, trucks, trailers, and so forth. Um, so things like that that we weren't able to accommodate here, we kind of gathered up and we'll possibly be moving to the Emerson Park master plan, which will be coming out next. But uh, some of the items that we included in this, based on what we heard from the community and, for instance, the year-round use of this space, would be uh, construction of an ice loop. This would be year-round use for um, adding a winter aspect to this space, which would nicely complement the stuff we have going on up on Main Street with the Santa House. This would be a concrete path that would be chilled in the winter time for winter use during mild weather. So if you'll recall the January and February that we had this year was more like springtime, so most of our winter activities were canceled. This would allow us to be able to chill the uh, concrete um, ice loop pad and folks would be able to still do some ice skating outdoors near the river in the milder weather time. It would include a serpentine track that in the spring or fall would be just a concrete path that you can use as a walking path or for uh, rollerblading or for children to use right on toys. And we have um, kind of fashion this after two particular um, outdoor rinks that we've, we're familiar with. One is McMoran Place in Port Huron, um, and the other is the Central Loop in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Um, Campus Meritus in Detroit is also a similar type of setup for outdoor uh, frozen ice skating in the winter. Another element of this design would build a community stage. This would be a permanent community stage continuing the great tunes by the Tridge tra 
tradition and also available for other hosting other events in this space. And uh, while we don't have a specific design yet, it would kind of be an open air structure uh, that would allow that visual see-through to the riverfront as well. We would add a pavilion in almost the same spot that the current uh, farmer's market is in now. Um, this would be a pavilion with overhead twinkle lights. Folks from the community wanted to see this place lit up a little better than it is now so that they can use it for nighttime uh, traveling as well. It would include uh, overhead lighting and a courtyard space. Um, it would be shaded area space for those hot summer days and the structure would pay homage to the Aldenby Dow iconic structure that exists there today. But no driving around there. Correct. The addition of a river walk would help to connect people more with that riverfront space. So uh, we would look at putting um, river walk uh, materials down that would be an accessible walkway accommodating mobility devices as well. And it would um, add a re-sculpting of the riverbank that would allow for natural seating features along the riverfront area. So um, allowing folks to not only walk and uh, gather in this space, but also have some just uh, generalized uh, leisure seating along the riverfront as well. And this space down here would build a riverfront viewing plaza that um, you could just stand and be able to access just a little closer to the riverfront. We would add a new water feature or unique play area or and unique play area. We currently don't have a play area on this side of the riverfront area. So um, we would look at developing a water feature that would be a little more current and replace the one that's there now. The addition of a tactile play area. These are play areas that are, are more um, geometric shapes and, and variations in sizes. They might be noise creations that uh, people interact with and not just play on. Um, and again, we would develop this in an enhanced accessibility feature. So wheelchairs and mobility devices would be able to access this area as well and make it a little more multi-generational. So all ages would be invited and curious enough to come in to uh, play in this space. Children as well as teens, adults, and perhaps their grandparents. This plan does relocate the rail trail to the northernmost boundary of this space. Um, currently, the rail trail uh, cuts right through the middle of the activity space. This would move it a little farther to the north um, of the layout, which uh, would create fewer conflicts between people using the space as events and attending events um, and bike bicyclists who are using the trail to either commute or just leisurely ride through the space. Relocation of the bike trail would also put it closer to the parking area, which again, if you're coming down to ride your bike and you put it on the back of your car, this would be a, uh, in closer proximity to the rail <coughs> space. 
Parking would be relocated again to the northernmost uh, areas of this space. Um, and what that does is free up the uh, riverfront area, which now is taken up quite a bit by parking. And uh, it would add a new um, accessible parking space on the western end of the layout um, that would be dedicated mostly to accessible parking spaces. And again, right off the rail trail and then the hard surface trails that meander throughout the parkway. This would be the same 292 parking spaces that are currently available. Um, again, just relocating many of the spaces that are now in this riverfront area, um, comprising them up into this parking lot that current, currently exists, as well as into an accessible parking space here. Finally, just a few additional features that are included in this plan. Um, there's a shaded picnic area grove up here that would include um, trees being planted for shade and seating areas for picnicking in a more shaded space. Um, there would be a smaller event pavilion at this end with a much more um, minimalized stage space and space to gather for smaller events. Um, a docking space would be here for small boats, kayaks and canoes that might want to um, travel up, dock their boat and then enjoy the park area uh, while they're, they're out paddling around. And uh, the kayak launch would, uh, that's currently located about in this space would be moved down a little farther but still available for launching kayaks if you wanted to park uh, close by in this space and launch your kayak downtown. I don't have great news on restrooms. Um, we are, because this is all floodplain space, we are prohibited from constructing a new restroom facility in the floodplain. So we would continue with the um, outside portable uh, restroom facilities that are currently found throughout the park. Um, and we would add more of a screening mechanism for those to enhance the aesthetics of them. And we would add two spaces, one uh, just off the, see from up there, um, just off the ice loop space here and one just off the parking lot in this area. The current restroom facility is in poor, um, poor condition. It's been vandalized quite a bit and is in need of repair or replacement. Um, unfortunately, uh, because of regulations that have changed over time, we would not be able to build a facility like we have there now. The original plan did also have a connector um, that was developed as a way to help connect downtown um, Main Street space with the park area. Um, we are not moving this recommendation forward at this time. There are a number of um, items that still need to be researched before this could happen. This could be a possible add at some later date. But what it would do is turn McDonald Street um, into more of a promenade. It would be 
um, graded so it could be ADA accessible to be able to um, walk a more gentle incline to get up to the Main Street area. There could be a potential restroom facility built just above the 100-year floodplain space, which is about here on the visual. So that would be the first place we could actually build a structure in the flood, uh, just outside of the floodplain space. Mm -hmm. But um, this was a concept that we wrestled with quite a bit. It's, it's a lovely idea. It would get that connector. Um, we often hear that the hill from Main Street into the riverfront area is, is kind of a psychological barrier to people free-flowing in between those two spaces. Um, we believe this would be help facilitate that uh, travel between the riverfront area and um, the Main Street space a little easier, make it uh, very attractive, a nice walk, and uh, up onto Main Street. And of course, everything comes with a price tag. Uh, the preliminary draft budget for this project would be uh, just over $14 million. About 20% of that is in survey design work, contingency fees. Um, so about 12 million in actual construction. And um, we've hung some very loose numbers on each project and what we would plan to do if this is approved in concept tonight is we would take this forward. We would begin uh, fine-tuning these costs. We would prioritize them um, for development of this space and uh, begin looking for funding, grant opportunities that would perhaps support these costs and then develop a phase-in project um, for construction of this, this development area. So with that, in March of this, this year, the DDA board approved this plan and moved, it, um, moved to have the plan reviewed at the Midland Parks and Recreation Commission and then sent forward to Midland City Council. On May 5th, the Midland Parks and Recreation Commission gave its unanimous support to the plan. And here tonight, on June 26th, we brought the plan forward to Mid Midland City Council to review, to adopt the concept plan, and approve us moving forward with a topographical study that would be conducted on the soils and the space in the riverfront area and then provide a funding plan to uh, develop this space. With that, I would be happy to answer any questions. Is that a roundabout on the corner of Ann and what is it? Or is that just painted? It looks like a soccer ball on our picture. Yeah. On the uh, no, not a roundabout. On the corner of Ashman and Ann. Ashman and Ann. Yeah. No, it's, um, right now it's, it's stamped concrete and no, no roundabout planned as far as I know. If you'd like one, we could put one. <laughs> I have a question about the pavilions <coughs> that, that would be used for, I, I'm taking it that those would be stages. So those would be um, seeing their location is in the floodplain. They would be flood resistant or whatever yes. the heck that is. So one of the requirements of building, and so we're not completely uh, hampered from building things in the, the floodplain. One of the major restrictions to building anything in the floodplain is that water must be able to flow completely through anything built. So that's why we would use a very open air 
um, concept for this, something that could withstand floodwaters and much like the um, farmer's market is built now, allow floodwater to flow through it. And the, the restrooms in the farmer's market are basically grandfathered in. Correct. And so if, if it, it would be, a, if, if tunes out of the trades are right here and this gets built, mm -hmm. people are going to be angry that there's no restrooms and there's only porta potties. So we could keep that tridge, or that, I'm sorry, the, the farmer's market, or keep those bathrooms and then build around it. That, Something to that keep could those be bathrooms a potential, there. But I know from Parks and Recreation that those, those restrooms don't have much longer. It's still longer better than walking life. up the hill or, wa or sitting in a porta potty for the women. Correct. I, w I would agree. Um, and we have looked at this space and looked at this space, and, and we just have no options for building here. Just keep it the old one. Well, just the so, so, so just to clarify, though, those washrooms are going to go away one way or the other because they're falling apart. They can't continue to be repaired. So, um, and to replace them, we can't replace them in, in that location built in that way. So, at some point, they will disappear, regardless whether we do this plan or not. And that's because it's in the floodplain. Because it's, it's in the mm -hmm. floodplain, it gets continually damaged. It's been vandalized so many times um, that to continue to put money back into that structure. Is poor decision-making. So, I mean, I think um, our city manager said a word that we've been hearing a lot lately, and it has to do with vandal. Um, are we going to have any kind of measures in this that will help us uh, deter that from happening? Absolutely. I think more and more, and, and with the ease of being able to add security cameras to most any development site, I think that would be a very wise decision for us to do in this space as well. I know this is a broad one, but how long is that dock, that Watercroft Day dock? It's, it's not going to be only two boats, right? Um, it would be the very similar to what it is now. Oh, oh this one here, down here, this watercraft dock. Yes. Um, it, it wouldn't be huge. Um, I don't know that we get a lot of docking activity there, but, um, but it, this would facilitate probably two to three boats. So we're looking for grants and gifts to fund this. Correct. Okay. A couple things. I mean, Selena, I, I agree. I think right now with the farmer's market moving away, this area is being underutilized. Yeah. It's one of the, the gems of our park system. I mean, yeah. A lot of people come down and, and want to utilize this, ish, this area, so improving it is necessary. Um, as I look at this, and you know, and I participated in some of the, the feedback, and we were basically blue skying. It was, you have no constraints, no money constraints, it's whatever you can imagine, no matter how outrageous, throw it out there. Um, and, and that's fine, I think that's where you want to start and you want to try and distill it down. Um, I'm kind of surprised at some of the elements in here. So the, the question is, up till it's coming to us, was there any looking at cost versus benefit of each of these components? Y you have a list that you put up there that, that had things grouped, but there's a lot more fine detail in, in, the, in the map that we were given as part of the materials. You know, it gets down to, you know, river walk seating, you know. So there's, and so I was wondering whether there was any look at the cost versus benefit of any of these individual components, and I get down to a pretty granular level when I'm asking that question, and looking at overall maintenance costs. And as we've kind of discussed here, you know, the farmer's market has issues. We weren't able to basically 
make it improve it so that it could be useful to the vendors in its current condition. That's part of the reason why it moved. Um, we just tore down Curry Stadium because it was routinely flooded, you know, over and over again. Um, you know, but we're talking about putting pavilions in here, um, and, and I have to. I mean, the the ice loop sounds very idyllic, but we have trouble. We've never been able to sustain a third sheet of ice in our civic arena, which is a is a enclosed, contained facility because of cost. So the cost to make to to do an outdoor refrigerated rink, while it sounds neat, uh, I would probably question whether that's really a sound financial decision. And is any organization that has looked at this plan up till now really looked at it that way? Or is that the function of our, us as a city council right now? I think that's the function of this process. What we've developed is based on um, <coughs> stakeholder input, businesses downtown, what they hear from folks as they're visiting year-round. Um, I think the identification that we do have a deficiency in this space in the wintertime led us to focus quite a bit on what, what wintertime activity could we add that would be complementary to things already going on, the Santa House, um, bringing kids down into the riverfront area anyway. Um, so, so these were concepts that sounded good from what we heard from the community met the needs of what um, we identified as deficient of this space and then were brought forward as, as a concept. What happens next is we refine those costs, we deal, we arm wrestle with things like what, what is the maintenance cost and upkeep of this, how do we utilize it? And I'm sure the city doesn't want to own or uh, operate another um, you know, ice rink facility would it be completely free range? Would we contract with an entrepreneur that wanted to provide skates and, and things for folks in, in this area, vendors for this area? So I think these are all things that we would continue to develop and would um, put together as part of the costs. But first we needed to find out if the concept of what we were gathering and, and proposing for this space um, meets interest from city council and the community. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I go to one of the agenda items even on this agenda was a $258,000 authorization for a uh, uh, evaporator condenser unit at the Civic Arena. You know, that's an ongoing maintenance cost that's associated with the Civic Arena and we, we wrestle with the cost of that program. So I look at, my point is it, it's one thing to put it in here, another to, to maybe prioritize to what some of the things mm -hmm. I think are, are more easily done than others and maybe make more financial sense than others. I mean, we're talking about $14 million price tag, which is very pricey. Um, and some things I think are more easily done and, and better accepted than, than others. Tim brought up the, the boat dock and the kayak. You know, one of the, one of the complaints even in where it currently sits is you have to lug a kayak down this serpentine path to get down to the the kayak dock, and if you know you're at the end of the day, especially, you know people have to they have a lot of stuff, and it's it's not necessarily a fun activity. And shortening that would be helpful. Um, and if you're going to have a dock and you're going to have a launch, it makes maybe makes sense to put those two together rather than to have two separate expenses, one on each end of this park. So there's, you know, 
that's kind of minutiae or micromanaging that that might that we shouldn't be doing, but maybe will come out if you look at how you how which of these items you spend money on, and not just say spend money on everything, because I'm not really comfortable authorizing spending 14 million or spending buying everything. I'm a, I'm I'm supportive of doing something, and I'd like to see however this goes forward is is kind of breaking that down uh, into pieces. Didn't you say we look for grants and yeah, and well, and 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 so how, what's the percentage that would be paid by that compared to what would be paid by the city? Well, it depends if we look at the, you know, I mean, I can't say how much the, the park is that's being done downtown is, but, you know, the bridge isn't being paid for by city dollars. There's a walking path. So a lot of it has come from grant, grants and from gifts. Okay. So, I mean, I think that that's it. I think that one, we know that these things are expensive. We also know that we've been looking at this area for a long time, and now we've got, we got a place to start. I think this is a starting point in my mind, even though you know, other, or, you know, the Planning Commission or Parks and Rec Commission has looked at it and they're like, hey, yeah, because people have said they wanted that. I mean, we have a very busy downtown now. You know, we built it and they are coming to that. And we, winter, we have a lot of winter, so how do we create some winter activities? I, I, you know, I understand what you're saying about skating and having the ice arena, but there's something different about skating outside. Um, there's a little bit of romance to that or, you know, charm to that, that you don't get in, in the ice arena necessarily. But we have to reach just, yeah. you know, a third of the mile up, up the road. Well, that's not a, that's not necessarily a skating it's not a rink. chilled surface. Yeah, so I'm just saying, I'm like, you know, I, I think this is impressive. I think we need to continue the conversation and figure out where we're going to land on it with this. Um, but I think it's something that needs to be done for that downtown area because I think we're really um, beginning to see changes. I, and I was just with a bunch of city administrators, and I was kind of surprised by this, that someone said, we're, I'm coming to Midland, we're going to go to the Canopy Walk, but we're going downtown to the spray park. My kids can't wait to be to that spray park. And I'm like, okay, awesome. I think sometimes we just forget how things impact people, including <coughs> our own residents. So, yep. uh, so I, I think that... I think we're, I've got us into the discussion phase of this instead of the question phase. But I do have a question. Yeah. Sure. So um, this is a lot of work, and it doesn't look like it's something that can be completed in a year. So I'm assuming it'll be multi-phases <laughs> over multi-years. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's what I started the discussion with, is, is we would take a look at the, the list of projects we'd like to do in this area, figure out what makes most sense. We, we just kind of spitballed it within the committee a couple mm -hmm. times and, you know, it's not glamorous, but it does make most sense to change the parking structures first. Mm -hmm. So we would, we would probably start with moving the parking to where it needs to be, clearing the land to where it needs to be, and then starting to add the amenities um, as cost and, and funding allows for and as makes sense from a priority standpoint. What can we afford? What can we put in? what's maybe that longer range plan that takes five years of capital mm -hmm. uh, before we can put in an ice loop. But it's, it's the, the thoughts Start and the building. planning so that we can be very strategic about our fundraising and then the construction itself. Is there anybody that's keeping track of the number of people that come down there? 
Like I went down there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I'd say five thousand on Thursday, maybe eight thousand on Friday, and ten thousand at least on Saturday. It was packed down there on yeah. Saturday. Yeah, um, we we estimate, you know, just based on how many people are in that two block space, anywhere from twelve to fifteen hundred people on a Friday or Saturday night. And it's consistent every weekend. It is. Yeah, Historically, it hasn't it. been that way. It's mm -hmm. usually only when there's a really you know, hot band that everyone's following down there. But now we're seeing mm -hmm. people don't care what the band is. If it's nice out, they bring their mm -hmm. chairs. They may stay an hour. They may stay three. So people are, are recognizing that Main Street space as a place to go on a beautiful Friday or Saturday night. OK, any other questions for Selena? Please. Um, can you talk to about some of the considerations for uh, the handicap and the disability? You were talked a little mm -hmm. bit about it, but for the handicap disability patrons. Yep. So all of these features include um, uh, flooring, walkway that would be ADA compatible for mobility devices, either it's a, a walker or um, wheelchair, Amiga type. Uh, mobility devices and, and there's quite a bit of interconnectivity um, between spaces so that you can use your mobility device to maneuver just about anywhere through the space. Um, stage area? Stage area uh, will be grass similar to what we have now but it does have um, a hard surface kind of um, oval around the space that would allow for um, mobility devices as well. And then this, this space would be all hard surfaced. And some stage space here. Um, and then all, all of the recreational opportunities that we're looking at adding, the, the playground space and the water feature as well, uh, would be designed with an, with an ADA uh, priority. Any other questions for Selena? So Selena, if you go out for grants, you're going to have to have, I mean, if you're doing planning correctly, and you alluded to it just a second ago, parking would have to be arranged <coughs> first. I, is there a, as you plan this out before, you, you know, you don't want to get somebody who says, okay, yeah, great, I'll, I'll grant you the, the kayak launch or whatever, right. mm -hmm. but you're going, well, that's not going to move till we do all these other things, so that's five years down the road. We need to get these other pieces first. So do you have a, a logical approach to how you seek a grant because based on what we need to do first? Mm -hmm. So most grants want to see that you have local authority approval first. So here we, here we start. Um, as a matter of fact, we, we just missed a grant uh, cycle um, because we weren't quite to this, this spot. And in addition, what we would have had to have in place would be our timeline for construction, um, our um, other funding opportunities as well. So all that really needs to be packaged together pretty tightly in order to apply for any uh, high-level state grants. Um, local foundation grants, again, they want to see that you have a timeline in place, you have other supporting funding available. So it, it's, it, it's not really a, um, a formula that you follow, but more gathering up all the pieces, um, being a little flexible. We may have five or six um, small fundable projects in this space that larger companies might 
might choose from. For instance, Three Rivers might say, oh, well, well, we'll do the small event space or the kayak launch. And whichever one makes more sense at that uh, construction time, they would be probably more interested in funding. Um, so yeah, th this is the strategy we haven't gotten into yet, but would be developed as part of uh, the approval tonight. Then we would start developing what, what makes most sense to start construction to prepare the space for and then which elements A are affordable and B can be uh, constructed first, second, third. Okay, any other questions for Selena? Thanks. All right, any comments from the public? Tony Stamas, 2704 Walden Woods Court. Uh, just uh, thank you, Madam Mayor, uh, members of the City Council. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, kind of seen this with a couple hats on, uh, participating in the, in the in the early discussions with the the DDA, and you know, it's a lot of discussions. Uh, you know, in terms of our community, we talk about building resiliency, but there's also a reality about embracing what we are as a community, and we're so fortunate. We have those rivers converged there at the Tridge, and really, I think that concept of embracing that. Um, you know, I think it's exciting. This moves the, the process forward. There's still a lot of questions being answered. I'm sure there will be changes, but it allows, you know, to get the topographical study, to have the information needed to really put, these, put this plan together in a solid manner. Um, you know, downtowns are a critical component of any community, and, and, and we, are, we are so fortunate um, as a, the downtown we have. But as it continues to change and evolve, and uh, Madam Mayor, you talked about meeting with your counterparts. Uh, I had a chance a couple weeks ago to meet with uh, CEOs from chambers around the uh, around the state, and we I, I think I've mentioned this to the council before, but we had uh, had them in last summer, and they were just uh, stunned by the downtown and just so impressed. And uh, one of my colleagues said a year later, he said. And I won't get him in trouble by saying where he's from, but Southeast Michigan said, I keep telling people you've got to go to Midland. And he said, I talked to a family that came from Midland, and I said, when were you back? And they said, well, we've been back in about 10 years. said, you need to go back to downtown Midland. And, you know, that's really a tribute to the vision the council and the community had for a downtown, as you mentioned, on, on a Saturday night, on a beautiful downtown, just, just full of people from every age spectrum uh, across the board. And I think kind of incorporating that vision in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, moving forward with this uh, waterfront uh, equally makes sense. So I would urge your support and I thank you for the opportunity to visit. Okay, great, thanks. Any other comments? Okay. John Lynn, 4604 Oak Ridge Drive. One of the things that we can't change is the fact that, and I think that's really great that we're doing this, but this area is going to flood every year. I mean, it, it has and it will continue to do so. So when you're developing all these plans, is it anything that can be done to make it that not an issue all the time? I mean, that's it's really serious. The other thing I have, and it's, it's kind of personal, is that, you know, we're talking about $14 million. And the difference between Concept 5 and Concept 6 to solve the problem in the Moreland area on the total capital to start with, excluding the, all of the, the low-interest loans and everything that you got, was $2 million. Now we're talking about, and for that, 
we got 200 homeowners in the Moreland District that have to be forced to disconnect their footing drains from the sanitary sewer system. And now we're talking about spending $14 million for something like this. It, it's an in insult to those homeowners in the Moreland District. I mean, that's sad to say it because we've done a lot of work on this and everything, but that's just the facts of life. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Okay. Thank you. Sean, will you please read the resolution? This resolution adopts the Downtown Midland Redevelopment Plan, authorizes city staff and the DDA to move forward with a topographical <laughs> survey and further direct staff to research funding scenarios for the project. Accept the resolution? So moved. Second. First and second. Okay, discussion? Okay, I'm supporting this, and I'll tell you why. Because when we started working on downtown, there was so much pushback, and it'll never succeed. Nobody will ever use it, and it's a lot of money. Well, you know what? I think that there was a lot of forward thinking put into that, and it was a good decision. Because if you look at what's happening downtown now, I'm sure none of us ever imagined the impact that we would see there now. And I think this will be an addition. So onto what we already have that will continue to attract people. It's not just residents from Midland. I get emails from those that are out from other areas of Michigan saying, I came to your downtown and it was absolutely amazing. So yes, it's for the residents that are here and live and work and play here, but we also have a lot of people traveling through here um, that come to enjoy what we have. So I support it to move to the next phase and finish the study. Okay, any other comments? You know, I, as I indicated, to Selena earlier, I, I think this we need to do something with this area to you know in light of the, where the where we stand with the farmers market. But I've I've been kind of burned on this before when we have a resolution here that adopts the 2023 Midland Downtown Midland Riverfront Development Plan, which to me includes all the elements, and I'm not supportive of all the elements. Uh, I want us to go forward. I want us to look at this, but I think there's things in here that are you know, bordering on frivolous. And so something needs to be done, but I'm not entirely supportive of the, of the whole plan. So I'm, I'm stuck here because I want us to do something, but I don't want us to do everything. Um, and so I don't know what, if anybody else has any thoughts in reaction I, to I that. I have some thoughts. Uh, sometimes in my own household, me and my wife don't agree on the priorities for the household. And we have a, a you know, talk. So how much more is that going to be multiplied when there's five of us? We're really talking about the priorities of the city, you know, and what we're doing. So we're never going to all agree on it, you know, and that's fine. But this is something, like you said, you'd love to move forward on this. I, I do, but I, you know, it's $14 million. And even the, even the downtown main, the main street cityscape was like eight. Um, so this is, you know, nearly almost double that. Not that it doesn't something again. Not, temp, not everything to say has doubled since then. But I also want to say, it's a concept. It's not the final model. So until this next phase of work done, 
we really don't know what that final vision and cost is actually going to be. But we're approving the plan. That's my hang-up. We're approving a plan without knowing all these details at this point in time. But uh, that's what they're going to bring back. But we're approving it. We're adopting it. Yes, and I said I support it to move forward so they can finish their study. It's not a study, it's yeah. a plan. We're adopting the plan. So this is, this is you got a plan, you adopt it, you're going forward with it. Um, and the next well, step I, I don't well, think we can step. nitpick it tonight, though. We're not, I don't we're think not we, we're I don't think we can say, you know, I don't like this one, that watch. has to go. That's what, that's what they need to come back with. Well, I see is the next part of the plan is they're going to get together, they're going to do prioritization, <laughs> thank you, and look at the concepts of, okay, mm -hmm what is going to be the maintenance of this and everything and they're mm -hmm. going to actually go through all the different things do they put the kayak and the boat launch together so or do they make it bigger and mm -hmm. stuff like that so there's a lot of planning right. stuff that's still going to go through but i think the first step what they need to do is prioritization she's kind of talking that maybe at the parking lot and everything is going to do that and then as things escalate you know it also depends on what happens with the grants and stuff like that. Foundation comes exactly. in and says, hey, we want this. Well, that may push it up a little bit and everything okay. like that. But the other thing is, too, is this is going to go into the budget. Okay, if there's some high-value things and everything like that, and that's where we're going to have our say if, if it's not fully funded by a grant. We yeah. get zero grant money if we don't approve this tonight. And, and well, we would know well, how much grant money would come in. I think you need to be careful in. because you've got to look at the wording of the resolutions. You know, that's really the, the key. You know, we talk about conceptually, and what Marty said is fine. I mean, I would be great if, if they come back and say, okay, here's, here's kind of where we are with prioritization, and, and which of these now do you support? Okay, great. But this is a, we approve, the, we approve this plan all in. See, this is okay. not necessarily Wait, all Just a minute. So, so um, Councilman has, has a, a point in, in the sense that if there are elements of the plan that are being brought forward that you have heartburn over or do not wish to see pursued, um, then you should identify those now before you adopt and approve the plan. Because the next steps would be some of the issues that you're talking about. So um, when Selena is talking about the parking lots and being the first <laughs> step, that's the phasing of the plan. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's not questioning, again, the components of the plan at that point. It's simply how do we go about dividing or devising excuse me, a path forward that will move us towards the completion of the plan that you've approved. So that's back to Councilman Arnosky's comment. So at this point... There, there may well be tweaks and changes and modifications that come along as we look into things. You will have multiple opportunities, I suspect, to look at the funding and the financing and the feasibility and whether the operational um, aspects of this make sense. Um, that isn't necessarily what you need to decide this evening, but what you do need to decide is, conceptually, what's on the plan are you supportive of? And if, as you said, you've got heartburn over some of them, then that should be identified now. And if the majority of council decides that that's the case, you should send it back and say, these elements we need to have looked at again um, okay. before we move forward. Okay, well, what is looked at? I mean, like, then we can say, you know, come back, or, you know, as we move forward, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, concept is a concept. This is the concept plan, come back. I mean, Selena said they were going to talk about it. They were going to talk about what it was going to look like for maintenance and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, because to say, 
you know, if I said, okay, I don't like that, mm -hmm. well, I might not like that, Steve might not like another thing. I mean, that to me is not the way to put together a plan. I mean, it's to look at it as holistically as you can and then say, okay, here's this, now list, here's, what, here's the information that we have. So, so to answer, um, the plan is presented with exactly that philosophy, that this is a compilation of public comments, of ideas, of concepts that we believe will work, put together in the area and the geographic limitations of what we have available in that particular part. And, and it's presented to say, these are things that we believe will work here. But again, if, if you as a council have heartburn over certain issues, and I'll just pick on the ice track since we've talked about yeah. that a little bit. So say that you said, no, we absolutely will not support an ice track. Then the, the correct response would be ship it back, push it back to, uh, to the DDA, and, and Selene and her team would say, okay, we've got to pull the ice track out of there because council won't support it. Now what does that do to the overall design of the plan? And it could be more than that. If you're just talking about very little elements, little tweaks, then I don't think that's where you go. But the, but the bigger ones, I think that's, uh, again, back to uh, deferring to Councilman Arnosky's comment, it's a valid comment at this stage in the process. Okay, so is that an amendment to the, is that a, yeah, a motion I, I with an amendment? Well, I would, I would, mo I would, I would move to, a, well, see, the, the wording of the resolution says, you have to put except for the, the, uh, the ice track. But th this might be something that, I mean, we're, we're putting this in there when it might be a four to one vote in favor of this or it, five it's to just, zero. It's a million, and, million and a half dollars just to put it in. And you haven't been around for the somewhat contentious discussions we've had over the civic arena over the last years uh, about the cost to, to do that. And the fact that, Tim, we've got three sheets of ice that we built in the civic arena. We've got a third sheet we have shut down. We're using it for indoor soccer and other practice fields. And it's all because we have not, can't justify the economics of keeping that, that third sheet cold inside of a, a building that's built for it. Uh, you know, and you've got other outdoor, outdoor ice rinks that are utilized. I mean, the, upper, the Emerson Park rink is used by a lot of kids to play hockey and, and goof off in, in the winter when, the, when it's cold enough. I mean, you're talking in an outdoor, it's just we have other, we have one out at City Forest as well. There's a, there's a rink that they put out there for people to skate on. And that, you know, that ties into the tobogganing and the sledding and, and, the, and, the, and the chalet and all that sort of nice winter activity. And it makes sense out there. And we don't always have the ice. But, but that's a <coughs> trying to put that as an element to draw a few people down. In a, and again, the point that John Lynn made, in an area that floods, you know, <coughs> the mechanics of, of that is just got to make it that much more expensive. So for that reason, I would propose an amendment to remove as much as it's nice and idyllic, I would propose to remove that, that skate loop from the, from the proposal. Okay, we have a motion to accept the proposal with removing the skating rink. Okay, do you have a second? No. Okay, does anybody want anything else removed from the plan? Okay, then the motion stands as, as it was written. So we had a first and we had a second. So now all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. That passes 4-1. Okay, that takes us now down to item number six, which has to do with job performance reviews. 
um, for both of our, our employees, which is our city manager and our city attorney. And city council met a few work, weeks ago for the purpose of coming together to um, do our annual performance evaluation. And um, both Marty and Diane agreed to, to write those up. And they, um, we asked them to write them up and come back with a recommendation as it relates to, to compensation. So number A on the list is the city manager performance okay. evaluation. So Diane, you yep. were doing that one. Yes. Um, would you please All right. write up the conversation and yep. make a rec recommendation. Will do. Mr. K. Your leadership continues to allow city council to make progress against our goals, policy decisions, strategic plans and actions for critical issues that impact the entire city of Midland. Upon review of goals set for the 2022-2023 evaluation period, it's important to level set expectations and understand to achieve many of the objectives will require multiple years of work. Therefore, performance will be based upon progress made annually to achieve desired outcomes. City Council acknowledges that significant progress has been made for each objective, which are all high priority, and would like to highlight the following. Implementation of Concept 5, funding's been secured, sewer and wastewater improvements are progressing, the framework is in place for the footing drain disconnect program and work initiated, and efforts are in progress to communicate schedule to residents prior to work starting. For staffing realignment and succession planning, over 50% of the city departments have a plan in place and remaining departments are in progress. Other projects in progress and well underway, the fire <coughs> services review, city hall renovations, and the city modern master plan review and community input sessions. City Council recognizes the complexity and challenges associated with each goal. And in parallel, the city services continue to execute seamlessly. In addition, you are to be commended for ensuring council check-ins are a priority. These sessions are valuable as they provide an opportunity for council to receive updates on initiatives established during our annual work session. What's happening in the city, examples, renaissance on Renaissance zone updates, reinvestments that are occurring in our community, um, state and federal bills being passed where there are appropriations being allocated to the city of Midland, and council provides updates on the various initiatives we're working on. For the 2023-2024 um, evaluation period, the following objectives um, have been identified continue with the staff realignment and succession planning that's been well underway for over a year now and will and should continue. Implementation of concept five um, that also is in progress and should continue. Community and external partnerships that is in progress and should continue but want to highlight a few additions that were added here. So it's continuing to invest in relationships with the foundations and members of the community that support projects in the city of Midland and provide updates. Relationships with the Midland Business Alliance, state and federal government, 
and then diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and community success panel. Next, we have the City Modern Master Plan that also is well underway and should continue completing the fire services review and developing an implementation plan. We know um, the first portion of that is uh, well underway and the planning is still to be done. And then completing the city hall renovations. So for the 2022-2023 performance evaluation period, it has been recommended by city council that you receive a meritorious evaluation. Thank you, Brad, for your continued dedication leadership and support which allows council to maintain focus on efforts that are important to our community. Job well done. Thank you. Thank you. And recommendation? And, yep. And based on that, I recommend a cost of living increase of 3% in accordance with the terms and conditions of the employment contract plus a merit-based increase of 1.5% of the base salary. Can we have a motion to accept that resolution? So moved. Second. Okay. Any dis further discussion on this? All right. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. That passes. 5-0. And thank you, Diane, for writing that up. And again, thanks for your service. <laughs> thank you all. I certainly <laughs> appreciate those comments. Okay. I appreciate the punch. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a soft one. <laughs> All right, that takes us now to our evaluation of our oh, city so attorney, and Mr. Wasbinski agreed that he would um, provide us with that write-up and recommendation. So on June 5th, 2023, the Midland City Council held a closed session for the purpose of conducting an annual review of your work performance for the past year. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your outstanding work over the past year. Throughout this period, you have demonstrated a high level of professionalism and dedication to all your responsibilities. Your continuous work on the old Holiday Inn and Best Western Days Inn projects has been in the best interest of the city. Countless hours have also been put in on the Concept 5 project and flood issues that included contract reviews, legal issues, and ordinances. Your efforts have resulted in a productive outcome that have positively impacted the city's development. You and your staff continue to work like a well-oiled machine, resulting in an efficient delivery of services. Many thanks to Leslie for her uh, tireless work in keeping you and your department at an elite level. You are proactive in keeping the city council, city manager, and staff informed of current legal trends and new development in case law and legislation. You effectively review and interpret legal papers, reports, and documents prepared by the staff, and you have maintained the city council and city staff's confidence and are always available to address council and staff's questions and concerns in a timely manner. You devote time and energy to the job, demonstrating a high ethical standard to the city. You understand community issues and concerns and have shown that you work well meeting and handling public issues. You are well regarded by city staff, police force, judges and their staff, businesses and nonprofits, and city residents. You work in a professional, proactive, and positive manner to push forward the City of Midland standards. Finally, at the end of this year, you will be retiring over the next or over 23 years of service to the city. You've worked with three different mayors, 19 councilmen, three city managers, six police chiefs, and four fire chiefs during your tenure. 
many issues have been uh, occupying your services over the years to include MCV, where that would include 14 months of trials, tax appeals, over 450 of them, COVID to include over 180 executive orders, floods, Curry Bridge, marijuana, dioxin issues, the KKK, water agreements, and mini pigs. There are also many day-to-day -day items that have continuously kept you occupied to include FOIA requests, over 3,000 in the past five years, closing over 5,400 non-traffic and non-criminal files, and being involved in over 15,000 cases for the city, which includes traffic, criminal, circuit courts, deployment, etc. As city attorney over these past years, you have represented yourself professionally and ethically while using common sense, tact, and diplomacy. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back at your first job performance review, a final line of the review reflects what we think now of your time at the City of Midland. Quote, we look back at all that has been done accomplished with amazement and gratitude. You worked very hard and very efficiently to build up the capacity of your office. Thank you for your efforts and we look forward to more great things. Once again, thank you for your outstanding work and your immense contribution to the City of Midland's success. Thank you. And with that, I'd like to recommend that adjustments to the contract with Mr. Branson be made as follows. In addition to the cost of living adjustment, which this year is 3%, a merit-based one-time lump sum payment of $2,600 and no other adjustments to be made to the employee contract. All right. Can we so have that as a motion. Okay. Can we have a motion? All right. Any discussion on that? Thought you were going to say in a partridge in a pear tree instead <laughs> of a mini pig, but there <laughs> there's so many other things. Well. Yeah, I could throw chickens in there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready to vote? All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? That passes 5-0. Thank you, Jim, for everything. I'd probably hit you too. I'll hit Brad again. How's that? <laughs> Can I hit him with that later? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. For, the, for how many years of service? It'll be close to, around over 23. Part time uh, for a long time before that. So yeah. over 23. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate that a lot. So thank you. Okay. Moving down the agenda. That takes us to new business. Um, okay, um, I have one thing that I would like to add to new business. Um, uh, boards and commissions, we had a, another resignation from our planning commission and um, Tim and I did do the interviews with that, with that and we had one, uh, wonderful candidates and we chose you know, two candidates um, from, that, from the pool and we have three more um, that we did an interview and I think that we'd be able to choose a replacement for that person that um, just recently stepped down if you're okay with us doing that um, from the from the three that the, we interviewed that, yeah, yeah. yeah. From, so, you, so sure. if you're okay with yeah. us doing that then yep. we <coughs> won't have to set another interview session okay yeah. it's fine okay perfect great thanks for that um, that's all I had for new business. Do you have any new business? Uh, can I comment too? Yeah. I mean, I, I also participated with Marty and, yeah. and Diane uh, on some of the commis commissions. And we did have, I think, overall really good candidates uh, who applied for these positions. So I was really happy yeah. to see that. Yeah. 
I think a very, very diverse. Mm -hmm. And we did have reappointments also um, on a couple of the commissions, which I think were the right things to do too in, the, in that situation. So I think it was good. And there we go, moving on. All right. So thanks for that, Steve. Mm -hmm. So any new business from you? No other business, no ma'am. All right, if there's no new business, then we're adjourned. Thank you.